Okay, fantastic job, Linda. Linda's actually up preaching on the 31st. Ooh. I'm very excited about that. So make sure you're, uh, you're here that week um, and come and hear all that she has to say. Um, another point of notice, actually, we have um, our youth going off to Soul Survivor today, uh, one Christian festival that is absolutely amazing. I've done it a few, year, a few times in the past and had a great time. Uh, and, you know, we've got to pray for these guys. Um, just, it's more than a good time. I mean, they're going to have some great memories formed. They're going to build some great relationships. But our prayer is that they would encounter God. Uh, and they are a great bunch, to be honest. But let, let this be a special week that will build foundations for them and, and actually make them effective as they come back and seek to share the gospel in their, in their schools, in their friendship groups, and so more. Uh, and it's interesting and timely, actually, that, uh, as Linda was saying, in the... Um, Call to Prayer Diary. There's a Vineyard Ministries. So this is alongside of our Growing Family campaign. Um, if you don't know about that, then be sure to pick up a brochure. But uh, this is this week's prayer. Um, I'm just going to read just part of it. Um, our youth is not the church of tomorrow, but the church of today. Honor and empower them to lead, change, and influence. Kids' ministry is not a babysitting service, but about introducing Jesus. Uh, sorry, introducing Jesus. Introducing children to the person of Jesus. Feed is not just about providing food for, those, for the poor, but making a way for people to experience God's love and hear the gospel. You see, the Growing Family campaign, reading on, it was born out of an obvious need for more space to allow these three ministries to thrive and expand, or thriving ministries to expand. You know, I became a, oh, sorry, actually, another point of notice. We, uh, we're continuing our call to prayer uh, tonight. That's tonight at seven o'clock where we're praying. Uh, we're gonna be praying from the prayer diary as well. So come along if you can join us for that at seven o'clock. Anyway, I became a Christian when I was about 21. And interestingly, the first thing that kind of crossed my mind, the first thing that came to my thought was, I wish I knew about this sooner. And it was just kind of immediate of going, wow, I've wasted 21 years of my life that could have been done, it could have been spent differently. And I was thinking, you know, if only a, a, a teenager had spoken to me about this at school or, you know, a, a kid would have prayed with me at primary school. My daughter's two and she prays for anyone and everyone. So that wouldn't have been totally unheard of. Um, or maybe, you know, actually one of my family members or, or friends who would have really benefited, benefited from feed at the time would have been able to share their experience of what it's like uh, coming to a church where they, they care for people that are outside this church. You know, that was one of the things that really captivated me and made me think, if someone had shared that with me when I was younger, I would have been a thirsty person for that. I would have drunk that in because there was a spiritual dryness in our home and a craving in me for something more. You know, guys, we have to keep on investing into this, this growing family campaign, this, this building across the road, more than a building, the, 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 the work that God's doing in this place, the increase, the thriving nature of his kingdom at work, of seeing people saved, of seeing the broken um, brought to wholeness and then sent back out to be good news to the poor, to the suffering, to the lonely. This is a wonderful place to be um, and a wonderful thing to see God at work at the moment. And so I, let me just quickly pray for that now, and then I'll move on with my talk. Father, I just want to thank you for, um, for all of the youth going to Soul Survivor and Soul Survivor themselves, Lord, for all of the effort, the work, the, the consideration that goes into making this week an encounter week for many people. May their lives be changed. May they not come back the same people that they went. And Father, bless us as a church as we seek to honor you, as we seek to press into what you're doing We're not doing anything new or creating any new ideas. We are literally just following where you are leading. 
And Lord, it is good. So bless you, Lord, as you bless us. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Quick question for you guys. Where do we get the idea that God is loving? Like, seriously. So is it from the media? Probably not. Other religions, most of them don't kind of adhere to that kind of same idea. So where do you get this idea of a concept of a personal, loving, intimate father who loves the world and everyone in it? You know, for example, um, today we could, we could think back and look at the monstrosity that was slavery and look back at it and go, that's disgusting. How could people ever have lived with themselves while that was going on? And yet there's a Yale historian that asked this question. Considering the fact that it was actually universally believed by all societies that we had the right to attack and enslave weaker people, and since everyone always did it, the real question is why did it occur to anybody that it was wrong? You know, the historian has a clear answer for that, and the answer is Jesus. As he picked up his Bible, as he read that, there's something that counters everything that seemed to be the cultural norm at the time, and we do it even to today. You know, some people relate being a Christian as kind of, uh, you know, straightening up and behaving well. And some think it's just, hey, guys, let's all be nice to each other. And that's the pinnacle of Christianity for some people. But you know, that wasn't the great revolutionary idea that transformed the people in the first century. Those who were marginalized, who had no status, the poor, the, the slaves, women, People who didn't have a say were being radically transformed as world changes with a gospel. A gospel that didn't say, hey guys, I've got this great idea. Let's all gather around. Just a brand new idea. Let's be nice to one another. What good is that going to do? No. It was this message that the almighty creator God, he knew every single one of them intimately. They knew that. They guessed that. This almighty, wonderful God who judged the world, they knew that. This almighty, wonderful God who knew every single ounce of their potential and where they were coming short, they knew that. Loved them. Cared for them. Desired to be intimate and close to them. They cared for them even though they had no worldly status. This was the revolutionary good news, the celebration that transformed them and transformed many, many people at that level and eventually caught the uh, eyes and the attention of people in the higher classes and ultimately the Roman Emperor Constantine himself. And, you know, that's a message that continues even to today as, as you know, the West is up and down, but the global self is literally booming with people coming to know Jesus every single day. I can't even guess how many people... This is good news. This revolutionary idea, as I said, isn't let's just all be nice. It's so much more than that. Jesus was the defender of the victim. He was the comforter for the hurt. And as Dennis was saying last week so brilliantly well, and I felt like I was stealing his talk this week, was if you feel broken in pain and despair, lonely, oppressed, this is good news. And let me add this. If you're happy, if you're rich, if you're wealthy, if you're safe, if you're comfortable... This is still good news. I say that because I heard a Christian speaker once saying that he, uh, he kept on having conversations with Christians before he was a Christian. And it sounded, he, he put them on par, he said they sound like communists. It sounds like they have nothing to offer, but they want to share everything. That was funnier to me at the time, trust me. I heard a, 
I'll let, you th- I'll let you think about it. You see, the world's in a mess. You only have to turn on the TV and uh, scroll through Facebook, depending on what friends you have, to see the world's in a mess. Either their world is in a mess or the world is in a mess. But you don't even have to look very far to realize there's evil out there because you feel it a little bit in here as well. You know, there's, when, you, when you do something bad, when you do something you regret, you can't help but feel that guilt. When you look at yourself and you catch a reflection of yourself and in the middle of something and you realize you're not the person you want to be and you're not the person you desire to be and you pretend to be something else for the sake of others, that's shame. You see, if we all feel like we want to change, we all feel like we want to get better, but there's a power in our hearts that stops us growing. We grow a little bit, we make minor differences, but there's something that always stops us, and that's the power of sin. That's not just what we do, sin, it's the power that is at work within us, the reason why we do it. This is all bad news, so we need something that overwrites that, and this is where this passage comes from. The summarized gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, for God so loved the world, not just Christians because they didn't exist when he was saying this, but the whole world and everyone in it, and not just people but the creation itself of which man is the pinnacle of. He loved it all and he wanted it back. He wanted it to be thriving according to how he set it up to be. Therefore, God gave his only son. You know, it's not, love is not just a mere sentiment with God, an idea. It led to action that he gave his only son. You see, before God actually gave his son, he didn't ask for anything, he didn't require anything, he didn't demand anything. He just gave. He gave unconditionally. And that son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth and modeled God himself, who then went to the cross and took on the pain and the suffering and ultimately the penalty of our sin, the evil that's at work within us in this world. And not just the shame that comes with it, but the power that drives it. He dealt with all of that. And so we can boldly approach him as son, as daughter, as we can come to the Father and say, thank you for your forgiveness. We know that you love us. See, that gospel, that's what God did. God loved and God saved. We see the thing is, is that demands a response. And so you may have friends that don't believe yet. But you know, I want to encourage you just to think, is what they don't believe the actual gospel? Or is it a kind of perversion or a, a, a distortion of what think, people think Christianity is? You know, they may make a decision. They may say, no, I don't need a savior. But let them be clear what they're rejecting. And it says here that everyone, everyone that believes in him shall not perish. When I say he, this is all of, this is so much bigger than, um, I'll just start again. This is, this is all about Jesus. This is not about Christianity. This is not about religion. This is not about anything else. This is all about Jesus. And to save me doing a whole other talk, you know, the Carl Medeiros book, Speaking of Jesus, is an absolutely uh, brilliant book to buy. We may even do an essentials course on it. So whoever believes in him shall not perish. So anyone, everyone, anyone that chooses to believe and trust in that is. It's not just believe that God came and believe that this happened, but trust in it. See, the best way to uh, kind of demonstrate this example is, is with a ridiculously heavy stool, to be honest. 
You see, there's a real difference between trusting in something. And see, when I trust in the store, I sit on it, and I put all my weight on it, and I depend wholly on that. You see, this, looking at it and going, well, that's pretty cool. That's not trusting. Even, you know, getting on your knees and praying to the store, that's not trusting. You know, kind of going, everyone, you must believe the stall is real. That's not trusting either. You get some people who kind of, uh, you know, they're kind of uh, sit on the edge, just in case it doesn't work, and they can get up and run off. But no, trusting, trusting is when you put all of your weight, all of your confidence, all of your everything, and say, I trust in you fully. Whoever does that, whoever trusts, whoever believes in, will receive eternal life. Now, the uh, interesting thing, you've got the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about the kingdom of God coming, the kingdom of God breaking out. John, who writes a lot later, colloquializes that word, the kingdom of God, and calls it life. And so through all our John's Gospel, you see, I am the life. I have life and abundance. And what he's talking about is I have the, I'm talking about the presence of God, the experience of God, the wonder that is God's kingdom breaking in and amongst you. And when you believe and trust in Jesus, you have access to the kingdom of God, to life in its fullness. You see, some say when they became Christian that they, uh, that they started out and, and in the moment they became Christian, things started to get better. You know, they started to get their life together. Well, the truth is, is what happened is they entered into that trust in Jesus and God started to work life in them and life started to spring up amongst them. That's the gospel. God loved, God gave, and our response, we believe and then we receive life. And you say, we can often sow in the quote in that verse there, but that's actually not the end of the chapter and I want to go on and continue speaking about that. Verse 17, for God did not send his only son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We kind of like this on the surface. It seems like a, a nice, equally you know, nice verse to consider. Jesus didn't come to judge or condemn. Um, people who, you know, who think that God is loving and people who think that God couldn't you know, be so horrible just to judge people. It's a nice verse. But the reason why he doesn't come to condemn is because the world already stands condemned. And so verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. They're rescued. They're pulled out. But whoever does not believe in him stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son, Jesus. Verse 36 puts it this way. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life because God's wrath remains on them. I don't understand. Hold on. I thought you were talking about God that was a loving God, that was a kind God, that was a rescuing God. And now you're talking about a God who's angry, who's wrathful, who's got fury too. You know, many of us will struggle with that idea or with preference, but most of us struggle with that idea in this culture. And yet here's a passage of God's wrath and condemnation right alongside God's salvation and God's love. You know, part of the reason why we struggle with it is because we're hard to imagine... Um, God in the same way that we are. So, you know, when we get angry, for example, um, pretty much every Sunday morning, I start off the day angry. And the reason why is, you know, wonderful and looking forward to church and all that, is because we're, every single week we're late. Don't tell my boss. Um, 
And I, being late, I mean, don't get me wrong, I work on Indian or African time, that, that is comfortable for me. But when I'm supposed to be somewhere at a time, that makes me incredibly uncomfortable. And when you've got a wife and two children, it's very difficult of a sudden. So I knew that this was going to happen today, so I mentally took note of what happened. And, you know, and there were changes of shoes and dresses and this, that, and the other, and nappy changes just when you don't need them, and various other things. Oh, I think I'm done, I'm all ready, I'm just going to take a shower. What? No! And then... <laughs> And then, uh, and then you, you, know, you kind of say, we'll leave at half eight. Okay, half eight on the dot. Quarter to nine. You're st- Where is my wife? Where are my kids? I'm just going to go to the car. And every single week this happens. And I get stressed and I get angry and I'm just not very pleasant. My foot becomes really heavy in the car. And, you know, we just, oh, just, I'm an absolute maniac. And do you know the worst thing about it is that when I get here, you know, the parking stewards, I love those guys. I come up and go, Hi. <laughs> Great to see you. Oh, thank you for welcoming me to church. I've had a great day so far. <laughs> so, so funny. But the thing is, is that what's working inside of you, you're incredibly embarrassed. As you look at how you've been and you look at how you responded, you know, the first thing that jumps in your mind and goes, oh, I'm so sorry. That's not, that wasn't me. I was just, I was angry. I was out of control. I'm so sorry. But you know the real reason why you're embarrassed? It's because that is the real you. That is part of your tendency. That is actually what's at work when you peel away all the, the, the care for ego and self-image and self-centeredness. And when you get down to the core of you, hey, it's a little bit less pleasant than you want people to see. You see, God is not just a God of love. And God is not just a God of wrath. God is both in a holy and perfect way, unlike us. You see, actually, the thing is, is that love and wrath are completely uh, meaningless apart from one another. Actually, when they go together, that's when they function incredibly well. You see, God's fury is always loving fury, and his wrath is always furious love. His love is always furious love. You see, let me give you an example. Have you ever watched someone you love make horrifically bad decisions over and over again, and you cannot help but see their life ravaged before your very eyes. How do you feel in that moment? Do you feel like, oh, well, you know, whatever. We'll see what happens. Complacent, tolerant. Of course not. You're furious. If you only know them a little bit, you may burst out with a, oh, what a shame. But if you love them, If you love them, it drives you insane. You just want to grab hold of them. It's not anger at them. It's anger at what's going on. You want to shake them and you want to say, come on, can you not see what you're doing to yourself? You are not the person that I know you can be. That fury, the anger, the wrath that takes over. You see, real love stands against Sin, it stands against deception. It stands against that which destroys. It drives you to action. You know, it was really interesting last week when we, uh, we prayed for Iraq as a church and actually we had uh, about 50 people come and pray because they were so, so furious with what's going on over there that they had to do something and prayer was the first thing that came to their mind. Love and fury work together. Anger is inseparable from love. And if we, flawed, sinful, selfish, to some degree, people, 
still feel that emotion? How much more will a perfect, loving Father who knows each and every single one of our potential be angry at the sin that destroys? There are so many people out there that are lost, that are helpless, that are lambs, uh, sheep without a shepherd. You know, anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is. You know, and the final form of hate is indifference. There's a, there's a great clip from uh, the magician's, whatever, Penn and Teller, uh, where Penn is a declared atheist, um, but someone gives him a Bible. They walk up to him after a second, they compliment him genuinely, and then they give him a Bible and say, look, this is what I believe. I really hope you one day believe it too. And gives him a Bible. And the, Penn, you know, atheist, he turns around and he goes, okay, thanks. But then he has this video blog, and you can check this out on YouTube. He has this video blog where he looks on it, and he, for about three minutes, a bit too long to show, about three minutes, he's just going, this is what happened. I don't know how I feel about it. But let me, let me tell you about something else. Let me tell you how I feel about people who know that there's a hell and don't tell you about it. How much does that person have to hate you not to tell you that you're going to hell? So indifference, apathy. What do you do with that in this culture? What do you do with that in this society? That's hard. It's really hard. How do you grow a healthy world? How do you grow healthy leaders? How do you grow healthy people and release them for a cause when people are indifferent, they hate? Guys, we need, we need so desperately people who are furiously in love with the lost, furiously in love with one another, that we are desperate, that we are hungry, that we are, we are impassioned, that we would sell everything we have in order to see one other person come to know Jesus and avoid hell. We need to be models of that. And if it makes us look a bit awkward for the sake of Jesus, not just because you're awkward and you're being horrible to people, but for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of good news, for the sake of at least giving someone the truth that they can respond to it. Not that they need to ascribe to some religion, not that they need to believe in a certain way or do a certain thing, but they just need to trust, trust in that Jesus came as their savior. We need furious love at work in this world. Furious love at work in this church. Furious love at work in our workplaces. You know, I can imagine God looking, up, looking down and, and seeing the person you sit opposite at work and going, they're there. <laughs> Talk to them. I'm only saying that from personal experience. The reason why God is angry is because there is a cancer in his creation that is sin, that is evil. He can't be tolerant. He can't be indifferent towards it. Consider how Jesus felt when he went to Jerusalem. And the, I love this bit. And the religious guys told him, the, this is the long-awaited Messiah they're talking about, and they say, you better go. You're not welcome here. Herod's going to kill you. And Jesus like, I'm your Messiah. I, I, do you realize how long this plan has taken to unfold? And now you're kicking me away because you want to kill me. You want to deal with me. And I love this. I love this. Um, it's in Luke 13. Jesus replies, go tell that fox. Okay. I had to look this up in commentary, okay? One of them says, an unflattering metaphor. <laughs> it's an insult. You deceiving, you conniving, you old 
person. You, you fox, tell that fox, Herod, that I will keep on driving out demons and I will keep on healing people today and tomorrow and the third day I will achieve my goal. That is furious love. It doesn't stop there, though. He steps back and he looks over his, his precious city of the time, the people that held the promise of God for all of these generations, for all of these millennia, the people that were supposed to go out into the world and to share this good news that the Messiah is coming. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. You can kind of imagine what follows then would be, you idiots, what are you like? You're condemned, you're doomed. But no, Jesus turns around and says this. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. Can you see the furious love at work in that? The furious love. God doesn't pamper his words like we do. He doesn't talk about you know, bad choices. and oh, Wasn't that a bad mistake? That was a bit camp. Um, he calls it sin, refusal, rejection, arrogance. But then on the other hand, he weeps and says, what must I do to stop you from perishing, to stop you from dying, to stop you from going to hell? What must I do to convince you that I am the way, the truth, and the life? That's not the harshness of our old Western culture nor the wimpiness of our modern culture. That's furious love. You know, but with this, God has an impossible dilemma. How can he pour out his wrath and anger upon the cancer that is sin while remaining, loving, while remaining a loving father and not destroying everyone in it? You know, over a third of the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a third of them, cover this very one subject, that is Jesus' death. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's on the cross, it's the death of Jesus Christ, it's there that wrath and love meet and are satisfied. You see, the son, the fullness of God, stands as your substitute. Every ounce of punishment toward that sin that you committed and that exists in the world, Every single ounce of that was poured onto Jesus and not you. That satisfies both the wrath and the love of God. And if we believe, if we trust in him and what he did on the cross, that he can take us into his world, into his family, into his life, because it's all been paid for. John Stott says this, Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. But then God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. That's the cross, where man claims the privileges that belongs to God alone, and God accepts the penalties that belongs to man alone. You know, one example of this, and there are many, is like an x-ray machine. Have you ever been for an x-ray? Sadly, we have a, um, a 10-month-old daughter who broke her leg at five months. Horrendous. I hope that never happens to anyone. She literally just slipped out the high chair. It was much quicker than we foresaw. It was difficult. But we took her there, and you know, she's kind of 
she's a happy little five-month-old at the time. It was amazing. Um, and then we, we had to kind of uh, guard her in this incredible, huge, um, slightly oversized uh, lead kind of jacket, as it were, and just leave that one little bit exposed so that they could take an x-ray uh, and get a picture of that. Everything that was under that lead jacket was safe from radiation, from anything like that. But that just that one little bit exposed, exposed for a lengthy period of time, could be dangerous. Jesus is like that lead blanket, should we say. When you stand underneath him, when you put all of your trust on him, not peeking out at the side and, you know, and, and looking at it and going, wow, that looks fantastic, what a great stool. But when you put all of your trust on him, when you stand completely under his covering, that's when you are saved. That's when you have life. For those others, no matter how wonderful people are, no matter how kind they are, and there's a lot of lovely, kind people out there, no matter how much you, you believe a religion or an idea to be true, no matter how much you want to see the world changed, no matter how much you care or even call yourself a churchgoer and attend church every Sunday, if you are not placing your full weight on Jesus Christ, your full trust on Jesus Christ, then when the time comes and the world needs to be dealt with because cancer continues to spread, if you're not underneath that blanket, if you're not putting all your trust on Jesus Christ, then as God destroys the world, he destroys everything in it, including anyone and everyone that has not put their weight on Jesus. But he begs. His furious love demands. He sends us, you and I, out there to declare this good news before it's too late. All stand condemned except those who believe in Jesus Christ. So those who receive eternal life. You know, consider what that means. Uh, Romans 8, I'm just going to skip ahead. What should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And it goes on to say, for your, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That is, we haven't just beaten death and, you know, and claimed a victory over it. Death isn't even our enemy. It can't even touch us anymore. We are more than conquerors. We're overcomers. God's wrath is no longer against you. He's now your ally. He's your protector. He's your father. He's your friend. And if you don't get that, you'll continue to believe that God is either all loving or all wrathful and not the both. You know, here's a quick test, actually, maybe two. Uh, here's a quick test. So, uh, so when you sin, when you mess up, when you make a mistake, when you realize you're a little bit more selfish than you expected to be or you're a little bit less self-controlling than you expected you to be, like me on a typical Sunday morning, how do you feel? Do you run away from God going, oh, gosh, he's not going to accept me now? Or do you just go, oh, I can't go to church and face reality? Oh, my gosh. What will people think? See, a person who really gets this, a person who really puts their trust in Jesus, they go, oh my gosh, I'm a lot worse than I thought I was. I'm horrendous. That means God's love must be even greater than I thought it was to start with. Is that you? Another test would be, do you fear death? Do you fear any kind of punishment? 
Because God said he's dealt with it, he's done with it. And in fact, you know, you can almost stand before, almost gloating, almost uh, proud in what Jesus has done and say, death, you have no hold over me. Go ahead, do your worst, kill me if you must. You'll only make me better. Um, and that's me going, hmm, got a few other things to get through. Um, let me finish by getting practical with you guys. Kick the door that way. Uh, how do you believe that Jesus, how do you believe, how do you trust in Jesus to, in order to receive eternal life? It says this in John uh, 3, 32 33. Jesus bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. Setting his seal basically just meant that in olden times when, they, when someone, um, a rich and powerful person, they would have an insignia on their ring. And when they had to sign a document, that's what they would use as their insignia. We would just sign on the dotted line. To set your seal is to say, okay, I believe in you. I trust you. I am binding myself to you in a contract. I am agreeing with everything you are, and I'm going to do everything that you say to do. You remember, setting your seal doesn't just mean listening and, <laughs> and going on Facebook and seeing someone's uh, nice quote and going, oh, I like that. A real challenge would be to look at that quote, as cheesy and as dove-filled that it is, and everything inside of you cringes because it doesn't fit in with vineyard colors, and go, okay, I'm going to do that today. I'm going to respond to that. That's to set your seal, to put your trust in, to obey everything. He says trust, trust in everything. You see, the word of God isn't just there so, you, uh, isn't there so that you obey it. And as you obey it, you, get, you harness your potential that God has set you up for. And as you do that, you join in with God's redemptive plan. It shows you why you were created. It shows you the fulfillment that lies before you in life. And the more you read the Bible, the more you get familiar with God's voice, the more you can respond to the Spirit's words which prompts you throughout the day. You may ask, well, what if he asks me to do something I don't want to do? He is. He's, of course he's going to ask you to do something you don't want to do, otherwise you'd be doing it already. Yes, it's going to be uncomfortable. Yes, it's going to be a bit awkward. And ultimately, yes, I hope that you'll say yes. After all, Abraham didn't want to sacrifice Isaac, his son. Moses didn't want to go to Pharaoh. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. You can see that in the Garden of Gethsemane. And yet, Abraham founded a nation when he obeyed. Moses set his people free from slavery when he obeyed. And Jesus, when he died, when he obeyed, he set the world free. Imagine what will happen if you obey. Trust him. Set your seal in him on a daily basis. Okay, I'm going to finish with one testimony. I'd, it's a personal testimony. It's a personal example. Um, I don't really want to finish on that, but it's, it's a really good one, so I'm going to do it anyway. Um, you know, we, uh, I know, last year, this time last year roughly, maybe a month or so different, we had a very serious uh, situation where we were. So Aria, our youngest daughter, was three weeks old, and we had a guy come to our door and started threatening and getting a bit abusive. We won't go into the reasons why. And we had to do something about it. We have, you know, my wife had just given birth. We had a three-week-old daughter and a one-and-a-half-year-old who was just plain confused at what was going on. And so we, we had to leave the home in quite haste. And we basically went into temporary accommodation and, and had to call ourselves homeless. In that situation, you know, Tara's an incredible faith-filled woman and um, sometimes I, I envy it, sometimes it just freaks me out. Um, <laughs> I wasn't in that place. 
I was furious. I was angry. I, I look after this household. I'm trying to protect my wife who had just given birth. My two children in a vulnerable, uncertain state. I wouldn't say I felt like I failed, but I felt like I wasn't doing a great job. And, you know, I spoke to, uh, we've got a great staff team here, and, and they were very affirming and very prayerful and very comforting during that time. And I remember a horrible conversation I had with Linda. Um, and she said, you know, there is that passage in Romans, for all things work for the good of those who love him, God. I said, yeah, you can, you can go now. And she says, you don't believe it? And I was like, no. How can you believe it when this, like, this stuff like this happened? Sorry, this is your pastor speaking. Um, <laughs> and Linda said, well, it doesn't matter if you believe it. It's true. It's in the Bible. I was like, darn it. You're good. <laughs> and I knew that I had to believe it. I had to trust it. And so I, I went about setting my life in a different course where I trust him. And one of the breakthroughs for me was worship. I knew I had to make a choice. I didn't feel like it. It made me angry to worship. It made me angry to pray. It made me angry to read the Bible because I couldn't see my life coming into order with those things that I declared to be true. But I had to be, I was angry because it wasn't true and I knew it should be. And so I had to worship. Uncomfortably, painfully. Some people, they say, should sing from the heart, not necessarily from their vocals, and that was me. I needed to be true to God and, and worship him as best I could. And I, I managed to get into that place for three or four months. And then one evening, and, uh, I was invited to speak at the, uh, the university, so I went along there and I had a great time. I was in a much better place with God. I was trusting in him. And Taro had uh, bumped into a friend during the day and had a great conversation. And I got home, and, and, and we were talking about stuff, and Taro looked at her phone, she goes, oh, I got, just got a text. And she uh, scrolled through it, she goes, oh, that's strange. And this lady, a friend of hers, a text that say, look, I heard about your home situation today. You told me about it, and you know, I hope you don't think this is rude of me, but we have a spare house if you're interested. <laughs> a spare house? <laughs> and so we prayed about it before we'd even seen it. We said, this has got to be God. This has got to be God. And I won't tell you the details, but let me just say this. We are blessed beyond our imagination. We're in St. Albans. I mean, that alone is, I think, is a blessing that you can get a place in St. Albans. It is absolutely incredible. It is far beyond anything that the council could have offered us, that we could have rented through housing benefit or whatever it is. It is so much more than that. And I don't know if there's a secret. I don't know if that's an applicable story for everyone. But let me tell you one thing I do know. I trusted fully in Jesus. Could I, the band come back up, please? You know, it's, John Oldberg, I think, has a great quote. He says, if joy has not won, it's not the end. There is more to come. Yep. And so I'm going to finish with this proverb. I'm going to finish with this because it's common. Would you guys mind standing, actually? And this is one of those Facebook quotes that you shouldn't just like. This is one of those Facebook quotes that I'm asking you to do to put into action, to think about how it applies today. Proverbs 3. Mark in the office says it all the time. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. 
in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. And everyone said...